I've listened to How Will You Know If You Never Try by Coin for six years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. And welcome back to another episode of Spin It, the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me is Connor. Hi. Hi. How are you? Hello. Buenos dias. Okay. I take that to mean you're you're good. Aloha. Ooh. Ciao. I almost want to see how long you can go, but I get the feeling you're running out of languages to say hello in. <laughs> anyway. Welcome to episode 98. Quick question. Yes. Got any uh, spare change? I do have quite a lot of spare change. I can't remember the last yeah. time I did anything with all the change I've acquired over the years. Yeah. You think I could borrow a coin? No. Oh. Get your own. <laughs> oh, okay. I will. Okay. Yeah, this week we're talking about coin. And they're mine. What? They're mine. I claim them. I got my own. Oh. What is this episode already? I don't know. I've already derailed this. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Let's get it back on track. I didn't know what to do after I said hi. No. This is where we ended up. That's because you didn't say your usual, I am here. You deviated. Yeah, you're, you're right. Let's, let's, let's start over. <laughs> I am here. Great. And this week we're talking about... That didn't sound natural. Let me try it again. Oh my gosh. I am here. That sounded way less natural. We'll fix it in post. Oh, okay. Hang on. We'll try... Oh, hang on. One more. One more. <clears throat> I am here. Perfect. I think. Cut, print, perfect. <laughs> I don't know how much you know about coin. How much you've heard about coin. You know a lot about Dogecoin. Oh, yeah. This is very much not that. <laughs> They're a Nashville-based band, but they've really grown a lot in the last couple years. I think I found them when they were more local, and then they've expanded. Hmm. I don't know. It was funny to me when, at one point, my sister was like, have you ever heard of this band, Coin? I was like, yes. And you're like, yeah. I love them. <laughs> They're great. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe you out there have heard of Coin. Maybe you know Coin. If you don't, you're about to. I feel like a lot of people maybe know about Coin, right? But I don't know how well-known they are. I don't know. Coin was formed in 2012 in Nashville, Tennessee by classmates and students at Belmont University. When they were founded, right, at the beginning, the band was made up of Chase Lawrence, who played the synth and sang. Ryan Winnen was on the drums. Joe Memmel was on the guitars, and he sang background vocals. And Zachary Dyke was the bassist who left the band in 2018, but that was after they made the album we're talking about today. So for all intents and purposes, he's part of the band at this point. You know, Belmont is a school that's known for, like, its music classes, right? Music business and songwriting and stuff. So they took a lot of music theory classes together and started to play music. They wanted to play live, but they thought that it would be good to have some recorded music that promoters could use as a reference for their sound and their style, right? And that's always a good thing, especially for a band that's so, I don't know, focused on alternative, like, synthy music. You just never know what you're going to get. So they cranked out a couple of demos that they put out for free all over the internet. They put together two EPs in their very first year, Saturdays and 1992, and then they put out a few singles that would eventually become temple tracks on their debut album, which is another one that I've heard. I actually, I saw Coin live in the fall, and I knew I liked Coin, but it never really occurred to me until that point that I like knew almost everything they've ever put out. <laughs> I went to the concert and I knew every song and I was like, oh yeah, I guess not much has slipped by my radar. That's cool. It was cool. They put on a pretty good live show. After they put out 
those first EPs and a couple singles, Coin got connected with none other than Jay Joyce, who we've talked about a couple times. I don't know if you remember the name. No. I didn't think so, but it's okay. I remembered the name. Jay Joyce is the one who turned Eric Church into a hit-making machine. He also was a producer for Emmy Lou Harris, who we talked about just last week, and he did work for Miranda Lambert, Cage the Elephant, Carrie Underwood, etc., etc. List goes on. So, Coin gets in touch with him. Joyce helps the band get together their self-titled album in 2015. It's officially their debut. The band and the fans alike, they all love the record. They built up a really significant local following. And the band, to this day, says that there are a lot of things from that debut record that will always be a part of their DNA. And I think that's true. It's cool to hear how they took what they did on that first record and expanded it into future projects. So from there, they upped the ante and put together their sophomore album in 2017, the one that we're talking about today, How Will You Know If You Never Try? What an album title. And to be honest, I thought this would be a great one for the podcast, not only because I think it's the best record Coin has as one, like, unit, you know, but also, it's my favorite, and also, also, it bears a striking resemblance to one of this podcast's frequent mantras. Yeah. You don't know what I haven't tried. Oh. Really? Is that just now a thing that's clicking? I've thought you would have recognized it right away it's just now clicking wow didn't even think about it i thought for sure you were gonna come ready with some bit about it or like try and yeah that would have been a great opening bit compared to what i went with yeah we really just winged it but it was right in front of our eyes i am here oh no we're not coming back again (laughs) nope keep moving forward we did what we did that's it i found how will you know if you never try pretty much right when it came out it was my first coin record And like I said, I've listened to everything they've done. They've got a really upbeat, alt-pop style. I think if I'm comparing it to another album that we've done... I'd say they're right in line with the band Camino and Bad Sons. Both of which were fan suggestions. So, you know, if you're a fan out there who suggested those, you haven't heard Coin. Go look at Coin. Give it a listen. That's true. They even co-toured alongside Bad Sons and opened for the 1975 at one point. So, nice. yeah, very spin it adjacent. How will you know if you never tried to me is kind of like a mellowing out of the band's earlier stuff. Their self-titled record is electric. It's high energy. It's really nonstop. But I think with the second record, they really try to dig a little deeper into their lyrics. They explore a little bit more richness in the music. And I think they really give this record a lot of solid moments to breathe without sacrificing, like they would say, their DNA and what endeared them to their fans in the first place. I think this is a great sophomore album. And like I said, it's probably their most consistent album to date. Later albums like Dreamland and Uncanny Valley, I think there are a lot of stronger singles out there. But on an album scale, it's really hard to top this collection for me. Plus, again, just the nostalgia. A little selector bias behind this pick. But that's okay. It's their first and so far only album to gain traction on the Billboard 200 chart. It peaked at number 177 in the United States. And on the Heat Seekers chart, it actually made it up to number 2, which is their highest position on that chart as well. And so far... The band's put out five total studio albums, the most recent of which is from March 2022, and they've built up a really great live show to go with it. They've had four headlining tours, and when they're not headlining, they've supported bands like Neon Trees, Colony House, Young the Giant, Five Seconds of Summer. They've also played festivals like Lollapalooza. So, yeah, that fan base, it's constantly growing. They're really making a name for themselves, and that name that they're making is Coin. Also interesting, a little trivia tidbit from a, an industry standpoint, 
Bitcoin is on their third different record label since they started releasing music. Their first two records came out with Star Time Records, which is a part of Columbia, and then they put out Dreamland and the Rainbow Mixtape on the Committee for Sound and Mind and AWOL, and then last year's Uncanny Valley came out on 10K Projects, distributed by UMG. So that is a fact that I can't quite figure out, <laughs> you know? I guess we'll just have to see where their next one goes. But that's a brief overview of Coin and the album we're talking about today. It's going to be so exhausting to say how well you know if you never try every time I want to say the album's name. <laughs> it's a long one. It's the second longest album title we've talked about, I think. As opposed to uh, I Like It When You Sleep or You Are So Beautiful Yet So Unaware or something like that. Of it. Yes, you pretty much nailed it. Oh, I was close. Yeah, yeah, you were. I'm impressed. And that one's got an easy like exit ramp. You can always just say, I like it when you sleep, which is a weird sentence. But that's like an easy way to shorten the album name. How will you know if you never try? Doesn't feel like it's got the same versatility. How will you know? Maybe? I don't know. You, you get the idea. The point is, it's time for Factor Spin. Mm-hmm. It's time to bring the mixtaper out and see if I can recover from last week's historic Absolutely devastating shutout. <laughs> I hope you do, because I don't like not getting any points. I know. Well, I'm going to try my best to get some points this week. <laughs> I'm crossing my fingers. Uh, just wish me luck. All right, well, let's get them all out here. Hello, Mixtaper. Are you there? Hey, it's me, the Mixtaper, champion of everybody's favorite game show, Fact or Spin. I don't know about champion. You did have a good week last week, though. You, I, I was impressed and happy for you, actually. Little victories. It's nice. Well, we're going for a second straight shutout. Oh, I guess that is on the table now, isn't it? <laughs> Didn't think about that one until right now. Thanks a lot. Pressure's really on. It wasn't until three seconds ago. For both of us. <laughs> yeah, but one of us is just trying to recover. I mean, you're just riding a high. I The pressure's really on me. All right, well, to add a little extra pressure, pick a number, one through four. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Let's go with one, since in United States currency, that's the only potential value of a coin between the numbers one and four. You know, there's not like a two cent, three cent, four cent coin. I see, I see. Yeah, I don't know. It's convoluted. Whatever. Just give me number one. Chase made a weird painting. Weird how? Is this a painting like we talked about with the Beach Boys, where Brian Wilson thought his soul was getting captured? (laughs) What kind of a weird painting is this? Is it a Jackson Pollock? He just splatters some art everywhere. It's a painting of a monk staring at a skull. Okay. What's it made of, like, oil paint, acrylic, watercolor? Uh. Is it significant to him? Is this an original painting? Like, or did he copy it? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's an original painting. Well, what's the symbolism? What's the significance? It just came to him. Oh, just a bolt from the blue. But what's so weird about it? Is it a bad painting? I mean, it's not professional, but it's not bad. It's probably better than I could do. I'm betting that bar's pretty low. What are you trying to say? I'm just trying to say that you shouldn't quit your day job slinging coffee. (laughs) I didn't choose the coffee life. Coffee life chose me. Right. That's what they all say. I guess the weird part is Chase got his brother to like model for him. Oh, yeah. So his brother is what dressed or posed like a monk while he's doing this? Or is his brother the skull? Uh, his brother wrapped himself in a red towel uh-huh. to look like the monk cloak and didn't have a skull on hand so used a grapefruit (laughs) to be the skull now if he had painted that outright that one would be a weird painting (laughs) yeah and so their mom walked in on them while he was posed like this she like thought they were doing weird ritual stuff freaked out with a grapefruit it will yeah 
I don't know. I don't know. Okay. What this says. Okay. So how long did he have to model for? Like sometimes that can take like days for professional painters, right? Back in the day. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't have, I don't have a time frame for this. Okay. I'm going to go with fact. Go with fact. Yeah. I don't know. I got one more. I got one more piece of information here about the pose. Okay. Uh, His brother grabbed the grapefruit slash skull and leaned in ominously, gesticulating towards a candle lit table. Oh, that's different. Which they were using for light. Okay. And that's why. Yes. And then the mom burst in. That sounds more like a ritual. And he says it was hilarious, like a moment straight out of a sitcom. I see. See, I was picturing in my head something like Hamlet, right? Alas, poor Yorick, where he's just like holding the skull up. Like, <laughs> oh, but no, if he's like leaned over a, a table with candles and yeah, that looks a lot different to the outside observer. Okay. I'm pretty confident with fact. I'm comfortable with it. Let's lock it in. This is a spin. Oh, no. <laughs> he was so comfortable and confident. Well. He didn't even fathom it could be a spin. He fathomed a lot of things. You just make this up? Did you do this? <laughs> Not so bad a painter now, am I? No. <laughs> well, I haven't seen the painting yet. Yeah, no, I made it up. Impressive. Thank you. Well, if you ever do make that painting, let me know. I'll model for you or something. Okay. I don't like grapefruit, though. Is that going to make a difference? It will. Oh. Everybody knows grapefruits are the most skull-like fruit. Are they? I don't know. (laughs) Only one way to find out. Let's go with number three next. Number three. They created an interesting video. An interesting video. A lot of of adjectives on things this time. Weird paintings and interesting videos. What is so interesting about this video? It's kind of a fan parody creation. A fan parody creation. Yeah. Is it something they're fans of that they're parodying? Uh, In a way, they were struggling to write the music for this song that they were working on. Uh Uh-huh. Simple Romance. That's a great song. Yeah. And so they created this video while they were sitting around, you know, goofing around, just kind of trying to write and created a video. Of a monk with a grapefruit. (laughs) (laughs) Just a hunch. The video was supposed to be Daft Punk covering John Lennon as a musical guest on SNL in 2001. That's complicated. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, that's what I said. It's like, I don't really know how to describe this without describing it how I just did. But I didn't want to lead in with that. <laughs> they were playing Daft Punk covering John Lennon. They So they like made a video pretending to be Daft Punk sure. who was covering John Lennon while, he was the, while they were the musical guest on SNL in 2001. Wait, they, Coin, were actually the musical guests on SNL? Or were they pretending no. to be? Okay. They were pretending to be, no, they were pretending to be Daft Punk. Right, so it's 2000, what, 18, 19. They're pretending to be 2001 Daft Punk on SNL. Correct. Singing John Lennon. Oh my gosh. Yes, you're there. You nailed it. So what? <laughs> how do you make a video of that? I mean, obviously you've got the Daft Punk outfits, right? The masks. Yeah. What else do you do? Cover John Lennon. Is it just to get out of a creative funk? It's not for Simple Romance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They said that they felt the song Simple Romance should have this vibe. And so they thought if they acted it out, that would set them in the mindset for what they wanted Simple Romance to be like. Okay. And I, you know what? I haven't seen the music video. Do you know how it ended up? No clue. Okay. That is interesting. Is this video out there? Have you seen it? I have not. Ah, oh, bummer. Video does not exist for me to see. In the public eye. Right. I'm going to call this one a fact as well. 
Oh, fact. Yeah. Yeah. I just, for some reason, I guess that makes sense to me. Sometimes, you know, when you're in a creative slump, you just want to throw things at the wall to see what sticks, what's what's working and what's not working. Sometimes you just need to get the juices flowing a little bit. And I suppose that's what they did here. But what a weird combination. Imagine all the Daft Punks. <laughs> this is a spin. Oh, no. <laughs> No. <laughs> is this another one you just made up from scratch they did say that they felt that their song simple romance should sound like this but they did not make a video and they just described that song like that in one random interview i found wow that doesn't quite match how i think about simple romance wow <laughs> well that's awful we're off to an awful start i'll be honest the, uh, hey, the pressure's off of me at least i get a 50 50 yeah I, uh, Which means the streak begins of me not losing. Of not losing? <laughs> I suppose so. Okay, let's walk it back to fact number two. Three was a little intense. Let's. <laughs> it was. Yeah, let's move back. They tried an interesting brainstorming technique. Was it making a video dressed up as Daft Punk? <laughs> I did think about that when we were talking. I was like, oh, this is gonna... It's gonna sound exactly like the other fact. <laughs> What's their brainstorming technique? Taking a road trip. Ooh, like a long distance road trip or just like a drive to clear your mind? Drive around town and see what happens. Long distance. Long distance. Seems inefficient. How far have they driven? To brainstorm. At least three states. I don't know three exactly states. how many. Wow. Which three states? Do they do this often? I guess, to, I mean, to be fair, Tennessee is like a short state. So if you're going from like Kentucky to Alabama, that's an easy road trip. I don't know which states either. I just know this is their brainstorming technique they did. Okay. What kind of stuff have they brainstormed on their road trips? Uh, the song Nobody's Baby. Mm. The song Valentine, which was apparently originally titled Rock and Roll Song. Okay. But they mainly go on to talk about Nobody's Baby here and how they wrote the song five different times in four different keys in three different states during this road trip. Oh my gosh. They just kind of went on a musical road trip. They would get somewhere and decide to just rent out a space and you know lay down some tracks and then hop back in and go road trip some more and play around in the car and then stop somewhere else. And they were just kind of road tripping it. That's fun. I love a good road trip. Oh, Never Change apparently was also on that long road trip. Mm, that's a good one too. Wow, that's a heck of a productive road trip. Have they done it more than just this one time? Uh, I don't know. This was just when they were talking about whatever, uh, Dreamland, is that the album that those songs are on? That's the one, yep. Yeah, they were being interviewed about Dreamland, how they came up with the songs. Okay, I think I'm going to say this one's a spin. Going with spin. I am going with spin. Much like the wheels on a car on a road trip, spin. This is... A fact. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm, I've got some things to say after the next question's over. Yeah. And I'm not loving the situation here. That's a fact. <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. It is indeed a fact. That'd be a lot of fun. They take a lot of vo voice memos on their phones and send it to one another of different things they were coming up with. Yeah, see, like Hippocampus did too. Darn, darn you all pop bands in your road trips and your voice memos. Strawberry Sunset apparently started as an impromptu iPhone voice memo of a piano piece. Mm, wow, that's a cool fact. Mm -hmm. Be a cooler spin. Would. And last but not least, I guess we've only got one remaining. Ryan has a unique phobia. You know what? We haven't talked about phobias much on the podcast. But we have a couple times. We have. The last phobia I can remember is when you lied about 
Zacky Vengeance from Avenged Sevenfold being afraid of dolphins. Oh, yeah. And I think that's it. I think that's our only existing phobia spin so far. So what is Ryan's unique phobia? Oh, boy. I wish I could pronounce it. Arachibaterophobia. Okay, so the first part of that sounded like arachnid, like spiders. But then the next part sounded like butter. Is he afraid of butter spiders? (laughs) Yes, you nailed it. I knew it. (laughs) In a weird way, though. Kinda. Okay, break it down for me. It's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof roof of your your mouth. mouth. That is a fear I've heard of. Like a spider. Like a spider? Well, just like spiders stick to things and webs and... Okay, it's a stretch. So he, <laughs> why is he afraid of peanut butter? I think he wouldn't be afraid of it if he knew. <laughs> Fair point. It's just just being uncomfortable with it sticking to the roof of your mouth, huh? Yeah. Peanut butter does have a tendency to do that. And I admit, it's not the most pleasant sensation in the world. On this website that I googled to hear Google pronounce it for me, it stems from a greater phobia of choking. Okay, that is obviously a very rational fear. Ugh. What's he said about this? This phobia that he's got? How did this come up? In an interview with the New York Post. Okay. They just asked, hey, you like peanut butter? And he went, heck no. (laughs) They're like, hey, what's like the thing you hate most that could stick to the roof of your mouth? And he went, spiders. And (laughs) they were like, that's weird. Pick something else. Pick something else. (laughs) Yeah. No, yeah. It was just in an interview. They were just kind of asking, you know, some questions to get to know the band. And he brought this up as a unique thing about himself. Okay. Well, I have to... Now, before you lock in an answer, I just want to know what your gut says. Not what you're going to go with. Just what does your gut say? <laughs> it's a great question. Um, my gut says that this is a spin. Mm-hmm. And now now I'd like to know, are you going to listen to your gut or are you going to ignore your gut? Well, here's what I'm going to tell you. I've played my own little game today. Yeah? Yeah. Well, this is an episode about coin. And so I said, what if I decided every factor spin by flipping a coin? To flip a coin? Have you really? I have. And so far, boy, has that sucked. I absolutely didn't believe the (laughs) painting one. I absolutely didn't. The the video one I was on the fence about, but I totally thought that the road trip was true. Oh, wow. I know. So what's the coin say then? Forget your gut. (laughs) The coin... The coin said fact on this one. The coin says he does hate that peanut butter. And it's come down to this. It's a shutout situation. You, I mean, you've got to stick to your guns here, right? It's the coin episode. episode. You started this bit. You can't abandon it. It's the coin episode. I have to follow what the coin says. I made that rule for myself. And so, yeah. oh, at risk of eight straight misses, the coin says that this is true. I'm going to lock in fact. I'll let you know. I played a game within your game. I just told you about my game. What? What? Where I flipped a coin to decide if it was true or not. No, <laughs> could you imagine? <laughs> what if? Oh my gosh! But I did play a game within your game where you know I got the cameras in your in your in your apartment <laughs> that t- totally aren't there. No. Okay. So I I knew you were gonna do this. So I changed out all your coins with weighted coins that I could control. Yeah, that seems likely. Because I'm 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 evil. This uh little 1990 quarter that I picked at random. I'm just try- I'm just trying to give you an out because fate really wasn't on your side. This is a spin. I know. This I know a it's spin, a spin, which means 
for two weeks in a row. Shut out. No, but this one's not my fault. This one's the coin's fault. I flipped the coin. It's your destiny. Your destiny. Oh, no. This wasn't my destiny. This was your destiny. It was my destiny to be the greatest factor spin player of all time. The only one to have two shutouts in a row. I was going to say, that's not true. That's so crazy. I can't believe you didn't see it coming. I can't believe it shut me out. It shut you out. That's great. Thank you, coin. I pay you, but I feel like that being sensitive. See, here's the thing. <laughs> it's supposed to be 50-50, right? Flipping a coin is supposed to work half the time. Yeah. Like, the probability really should not have gone this way. Man, coin let you down. Probability was against me. The coin let me down. Coin the band didn't let me down, but... Throw that coin away. Yeah, you're right. I'm gonna I'm gonna spend it tonight. How would you like to be bubblegum, sucker? <laughs> All right, well, make sure to bring that coin back for next week's episode. Not a chance. Three shutouts in a row. <laughs> Not a chance. I won't let you shut me out leading into episode 100. There's no way. That'd be great. <laughs> well, 99's up next. <laughs> but until then. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, that was quick. He ran away. James, what are you doing? I tried to play a little game. I thought maybe the coin would give me a shutout. What are you doing? That would have been wild. Yeah, wouldn't it? I know. And then I could have said at the end, guess what? I didn't even play the game. And he would have been devastated. But <sighs> boy, it really went the opposite way for me. It really did. Well, after that bummer of a round of Factor Spin, it's time to get on to the album cover. I like the album cover of How Will You Know If You Never Try a lot. It's striking. And I also just like the color red. So that's no small part of it, I'm sure. Red is good. Red is good. It's a tombstone, right? Looks like a like a gravestone. It says How Will You Know If You Never Try on it. There's a hand reaching for it. There's a flower in a vase and some birthday candles scattered about. One of them is lit and it's very red. <laughs> I like it. I don't know. I don't know necessarily all the symbolism they intended here, but definitely it's an aesthetic. It's a look. Yeah. I like the tombstone. I like the little candle. I know. There's probably deep meaning to the fact that one candle is lit, you know, like all the others have been extinguished and are laying about the floor haphazardly. Yeah. I also really, it is like uncanny because the, like the lights are so turned up on everything. Uh Uh-huh. The saturation. Yeah, the edges are all washed out. It's yeah, it's quite a look, but a cool look. Well, without further ado, let's talk about the tracks on this album. Do we have to? Yeah, we do. Oh, okay. I think this album starts off with one of the most poorly aged album track titles probably that we've ever talked about. Yeah? Yeah, and that is Don't Cry 2020. Uh, I think that's perfectly aged. Well, that's true. Uh, a lot of people did a lot of crying in 2020. As the album came out in 2017, so definitely we can look at 2020 with hindsight. They could not. So the song has nothing to do with what actually happened in 2020. Chase Lawrence wrote this song about himself and his girlfriend turning 25, and his 20s were going to end in the year 2020. Yeah. Right? At the time, it's looking forward to it. Since we've all been through 2020, the title rings a little different, but basically it's about I mean, you still don't don't cry. Don't cry. Just for other reasons. <laughs> right. Yeah, the song is all about getting older, hitting that milestone age, and kind of taking stock of where you are in life, where you're going to be in five years. That dreaded interview question, right, that they ask you in every job interview for some reason. I don't like that one. Why not? I just never know where I'm going to see myself in five years. What if something happens? Well, that's. but where would you like to see yourself? 
Well, yeah, I guess. See, now you're doing it too. You're just as bad as the, the job interviewer people. Because I don't hate the question. I think it's a great question. Where do you see yourself in five years? Making this podcast. Okay. See what I did there? Good answer. That's where I see myself in five years too. See? And now I, now I got the job because I gave a good answer. All right. You had the job two years ago. Yeah, but I get to keep it. You locked it in for another five. Chase actually says Don't Cry 2020 is one of his favorite songs on the record. I like it. I think the song's music does a great job of mirroring the upbeat, really optimistic outlook that it's trying to project. That it's a don't cry song. It's not a song that makes you want to cry. One of the lines I really love in this song is it's a little one, but it has a lot of punch. Remember when we couldn't wait. Talking with this person about thinking back on a time when they imagined themselves where they are now. And it's kind of cool to recontextualize that in the sense that now they're looking forward to where they're going to be. Like they're doing it again, right? There's always something else to look forward to. It's a really nifty little line. And Don't Cry 2020 was the album's fifth single. I think it was its fifth and final single. I don't know if they released any more than five. On an 11-track album, probably not. But this was the fifth. But that's Don't Cry 2020. It's a pretty solid start to the record, I think, but not the album's highest point. Honestly, track two, Boyfriend, is a pretty strong case for one of the album's stronger songs. I like Boyfriend a lot. Don't Cry 2020 sets the scene well. It's not too much, not too little. 2020 is a Goldilocks song. It's just right, Mm -hmm. you know, but Boyfriend, I think, kicks it up a notch musically. I agree. It's about being caught in what some would call a situationship. He's being pursued by somebody who wants him to be like a temporary boyfriend, wants him around whenever she wants him, when it's convenient, but he gets pushed to the side as soon as things get difficult, and he's over it. Like lip and shameless. (laughs) That means nothing to anybody who hasn't seen Shameless. certainly means nothing to me. (laughs) But sure. Basically, this guy's just had enough of the games. He's resigned himself to being the one that got away. He says, I don't want to be your boyfriend when you need a little company or when there's not another phone to ring. I like it. It's such a big chorus. Such a statement. Yeah, it's it's just got a good hook to it. It does. And I just love the production on this one. There's something about the ambient kind of synth that's behind all the instruments that does a great job of building the sound. The guitar parts are like there, but not too much. It's just a good blend. And and the way they layer the vocals, especially on the pre-chorus, really gets me excited every time. I love it. Yeah, it's good. It is. It's just a testament to how well they can arrange a song because they know when to rein it in and not go all out too. The breakdown or like the deconstruction of the chorus right after the bridge is pretty sweet. The drums keep going. The phrases are punctuated by little flashes of the guitar after that bridge, which I just love. I do think the verses are a little stagnant melodically. They're kind of just one note until we hit the pre-chorus. I don't mind it a ton. It's easy to follow, which I think is good for underscoring how plain he's trying to be about sending this message in no uncertain terms. Kind of backs up that sentiment, but it's noticeable. I don't know what else you'd do with it. I dig it. I really dig it. What is that from? That's a reference you don't get. No, what's it a reference to? A Ray Stevens song that we didn't do in the episode. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, then no, I probably don't get it. I'm sorry. Sometimes I just talk too much. Do you? Has anyone ever said that to you? I've never been told that once in my life. Ever? Never. Wow. Congratulations. That's the thing about having a podcast is that sometimes I do feel like I talk too much. I don't know. Impossible. Well, I feel like I get all my talking out now and then I talk less the rest of the time. Okay, let's talk about the next song. Talk too much.
Your silence is deafening. Sorry, I was just trying not to talk too much. <laughs> okay. Gonna keep the streak alive. We can make 800 of the same joke, <laughs> but we should probably talk about this song. <laughs> this is the rest of the episode, folks. Strap in. Just talking too much, or too little. Talk Too Much has the honor of being the record's first single, and it's also the first one they wrote for the record, and it took them less than a day to write it. Wow. I know. It's always so impressive to hear how fast some of these songs exist. Do you know what I created in the last day? Nothing. Probably at least one poop. (laughs) Yeah, true. But you know what? I can't release that as a a number one single for my next album. Oh, no, it was a number two single. (laughs) (laughs) I hate that I can't go in the episode. <laughs> Why can't it? No way. Absolutely can't. Leave that in. <laughs> Man, yeah, maybe that is apt for this song because this song is all about people's ability to leave things unsaid. You know, he says, we talk too much. We say too many things. He says, maybe you should just come over here, kiss me and shut me up. Basically, that's the idea of the song. It's been a minute since I've said something that just made you have to stop and repeat what I said. <laughs> that was a wild one. Chase talked about why he thinks people just keep talking even when they probably realize they shouldn't. He said he blames it on being too comfortable or being too uncomfortable. He said, terrified of dead air, my brain chooses to panic and solely feed the conversation. A deadly combination. And that feels about right. Feels accurate. I I don't know. I feel like we've all probably had that moment where we've said something and immediately regretted it, whether it was harmful or benign. And this song kind of captures that regret in an energetic way. It's far and away the most streamed song on Spotify, so it's definitely, I would call it the album's undisputed most popular track. I'm a big fan of Talk Too Much. Really? Like, I know I was making a bunch of jokes, but... But for real, genuinely. Big fan. That's great. I cannot talk too much about how much I like Talk Too Much. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of my favorites, too. And, you know, one of my favorite parts of it is the melody on the chorus. It keeps getting lower and lower and lower, Mm-hmm. They actually wrote that as a joke. They were just messing around and sang it as a joke, and they decided to never change it, which I love. Thank goodness it stuck. It's one of my favorite moments on the whole record. Interesting. Also interesting is the way they recorded this song. They said they did a lot of the vocals, recording them straight into a MacBook using the built-in microphone. It's unusual, but pretty cool. And it makes me jealous, to be honest, with all the audio issues that we've had <laughs> trying to record with recording equipment. Yeah. Man, there's some cool lyrics, too, in Talk Too Much. Melody aside, which I love. You know, they give insight to the tension and the awkwardness that they're both feeling from a tightrope across the table to their ability to cut loose now and blame it all on human nature later. I think Talk Too Much is a pretty standout track from this album. I do want to sing it and listen to it. But you know what I don't want to do? You don't want to dance? I don't want to dance. I almost looked at the list order and skipped over that one. Went, you don't want a Hannah? <laughs> no, no, we're not skipping ahead yet. So and I just, I missed it. <laughs> I was like, wait, I, I was confused. <laughs> no, I don't want to dance is track four preceding Hannah. When they wrote this one, they said, we wanted this idea of not wanting to play the relationship game, just wanting to be with someone and not having to be seen or self-conscious. It was written as a joke. They said they weren't going to finish it, but they decided the song was actually good. They listened to a voice memo they made of it and loved it. They said it's whiny, and the vocals that are on the song are the original vocals they did when they were joking. They said they tried to re-record them a lot and just never got better than the original spoof takes. Isn't that funny? Like, this is two songs in a row now that have just had, like, tracks that fell together on a whim. Yeah. I love that. I agree. 
I think of the songs on this album, I Don't Wanna Dance maybe has my favorite start to the song. It's this weird kind of reverse little wind-up backwards bit. It just feels so disorienting, kind of, and I love it. It all kind of congeals with that little drum hit. I just like it a lot. The intro is so cool. And it's simple. Just drums and piano for a little while. Weird, scratchy reversal. The whole song kind of feels topsy-turvy. And I think that's largely because of the drums. The way they cut up the vocals in certain spots. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's very creatively produced. More so, I think, than previous tracks. And it, to me, really hints at some of Coin's future work. Nobody knew that in 2017. But now, I think it's a pretty clear indicator of where the band's headed. Where are they headed? They're headed, well, from this album, they head into their next album, Dreamland. They're headed to Dreamland. Yeah, headed to Dreamland. That's good. I like that. I know lyrically there's not a lot going on in the chorus. I don't want to dance. I don't want to dance. I don't know how. I don't want to dance. I don't want to dance with you, right? But the melody is so fun. The way it bounces high and low and all around, and the instrumentation is so fleshed out and compelling that those lyrics, I think, kind of get the green light to take a back seat. It's a different kind of song than the first three in a lot of ways. Do you think it's better or worse? Uh, I think it's just different. Okay. Who am I to to judge it? Right. Yeah, why even? (laughs) I'm being funny today on this episode. I guess so. (laughs) I do like I Don't Want to Dance. I do want to listen to it. I do want to sing it, but you know what I don't want to do? You don't want a Hannah. I don't want a Hannah. (laughs) I teed that one up for you so you can feel a little better about what you did the first time. Thank you. (laughs) Hannah is up next. Track five. It's about a girl who's stuck in her little world, never knowing what's out there because she's never had the chance to try it. This song is where we get the album's lengthy album title. How will you know if you never try? Hannah's actually about a real person that Chase knew. He said, Hannah's a girl I met in middle school, and I thought she was so beautiful. She still lives in my hometown. I met a Hannah in middle school. Yeah, me too. Did did everybody meet a Hannah in middle school? Is that what we've just discovered? If you didn't meet a Hannah in middle school, let us know. Reach out to us on socials. We'll hook you up with a Hannah. Will we? I don't know. Do people really want that? I don't know. Well, they do if they message us saying they want to meet a new Hannah. If they ask for it, I guess. So yes, Hannah, real person. Chase met her in middle school. He said she still lives in my hometown, and I saw her while writing this album. I thought it was crazy that she's still here, stuck there. I wrote this tale about her, which I entirely think is not true, but is based on Hannah in the seventh grade. So basically, he made up all the details, but did know a person named Hannah. Mm. She's basically trying to make things happen with the speaker, trying to get involved, but the speaker just can't be tied down to one spot. Her lifestyle isn't for him. And I love the way that he still kind of shows that he cares about her. It's not personal. You know, he says, keep on dancing into the arms of another man. Like, you'll find somebody who's right for you, but don't let our experience take the dance out of you until then. The other thing about Hannah, the bridge. It's also one of my favorite segments of this record. Tell me that you're bored to death and the skyline that you never left. The light in your eyes is flickering, but are you listening? I love it. And that kind of gets into some of the themes that are grander on this album between talk too much and like, are we alone? You know, your eyes are flickering, but are you listening? I like it. It just feels like it fits into this album like a puzzle piece. And I think it's a subtly great track to take the album title from. I agree. I agree too. Question for you. I feel like it's a question for yourself, but yes. Wait, it's a question for for myself? Well, yeah, I'm here by myself, but you're the one that's got the mixtaper to worry about. But are we alone? That's why only you can answer it, because the only other person who would be here is with you. What if he's with you right now? He's got that blimp. He's mobile. Not that mobile. Are we alone? Good question. 
I think so. It's just you, me, and everybody listening to this podcast right now. And we're all alone. We're alone together. That's a Fall Out Boy song. We'll get to that down the road. Are We Alone is kind of the antithesis of Talk Too Much. This is a couple that's totally disconnected and not talking enough. Chase says this song is a mantra for himself to slow down and be in the moment. He says, I was thinking that I'm never actually alone when I'm alone. If I'm going to be alone, I want to be alone. It was very cathartic to write that, and it helped me break my addiction to social media. I like the start to this one. Yeah. I don't like it as much as I don't want to dance or talk too much. Right, sure. But it just, it's kind of, them, it's cool thematically or conceptually. Yeah, it is like a phone ringing and the slow din of everything building up. That weird noise that you hear at the beginning of the song isn't a synth or a pad or anything like that. That's Chase's vocal from the chorus, slowed down 800%. Is that not wild? That is that's crazy i know we should put a new intro at the start of this episode our voices slowed down eight- it's us saying keep spinning but slow down 800 percent. 800 percent, and then everyone who hears it will be like what but then the, if they make it to here they'll know they'll know i actually like that i think i'm gonna do it <laughs> full of good ideas today full of them you're mentally boosted is this an indie pop thing i feel like every time we come across a phone bad song it's from a band like the band camino <laughs> right or bad sons or are we alone it's literally the three most similar bands to this that we've talked about on the podcast all have a phone bad song out of those three out of electric circus look up and are we alone look up you're stuck like super glue or whatever the words were (laughs) no that's the words that's the words i think i would put are we alone maybe in the second spot i think i would too electric circus probably takes number one for me are we alone number two Sorry, Ban Camino. Look Up is still down there, number three. It's looking up from the bottom. You know, historically, the concept has not been my favorite. I don't think this one is an exception to that. It's kind of a lesser track on the album for me. But I do think that's also for musical reasons. It doesn't necessarily have as much going on melodically as most of the other tracks. Although the breakdown after the chorus instrumentally is pretty nice. But I think the instrumentals you get there can be found plenty of other places on this album. So you don't need to like turn to this song to get them. It's an okay song. It's fine. Yeah, it's no hard eyes. It's no hard eyes. I do think the front half of the album is a little stronger than the back half that we're getting into, but the back half definitely has its high points. Heart Eyes is among them. Chase says, It's about this girl who sees the best in everyone and will go past herself to do anything to make anyone better, even at her own expense. Her heart is bigger than her eyes. She'll sacrifice anything, but you have to take time for yourself, or you're just going to wither away. So that's the concept behind it. They actually envisioned this song a lot slower than it currently is. Right now, honestly, it's one of the more upbeat tracks on the album. But when they wrote it, they pictured it as way more of a ballad kind of track. But they decided to pick up the pace by an extra 30 beats per minute after it was almost completely recorded. And then they had to redo the whole thing. I think they should release the slow cut because I'm just curious to hear it. Yeah. So did they want it like the speed of Malibu, which we'll get to? But is that like the speed they wanted it? I think, yeah, closer to that, which I don't know how I feel about that. I think 
nowadays coin can do a slow song really well i'm not sure how prepared they were to do a slow song or a series of slow songs on how will you know if you never try their first album like i said is just raw energy there's not many slow soft moments and how will you know if you never try expands on that but i think it would have been really easy with too many slow songs to make this album feel bogged down i do like hard eyes you know she's going and she's going and she's going and she's going 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 pouring her everything into these relationships and all these people when the speaker's just begging her to come home and take some time to heal and recharge i like it i feel like we all know people that kind of live that way you know just pour out and pour out and pour out and sometimes forget to take enough time to recharge. I don't think there's a ton here lyrically, but it's a fine mid-album track. I think it fills the space of the album and keeps me in the zone between the first and the second half. I don't know. I like uh, I like a couple of the couplets. Couplets are good. Yeah. I don't know if couplet was the right word, but that's the word I used. Well, a couplet is two lines together. Yeah. A rose-colored dream when she's loving you with a cartwheel heart never running out of room. That's pretty good. Yeah, it doesn't rhyme, but it is a couplet. It's a slant rhyme. You, room. They both have an ooh. They just put a little mm on the end. Just an ooh with an mm. Just an ooh with an mm. A couple ooh ums. Right. It's fine. Hard Eyes is, an, is a pretty good song, but it's got nothing lyrically on the next track, Lately 2. Lately 2 is heavy. Meh. Meh. Yeah, it's meh. What do you mean it's meh? What's meh about it? <laughs> It was it was a track that could disappear and I would have been I would not have been uh heartbroken about it. Yikes. My hard eyes would not have been broken. Interesting. I think it's one of their more emotionally charged tracks on the album. Really? Yeah. Well, as the people's champion, I have to inform you, it's the least popular song on Spotify. Least popular, maybe, but that's probably just because it's so sad. No, people love sad songs. I guess. Yeah. It's a sequel to a track on their debut, as you may have guessed, called Lately. Yeah, and there's a Lately 3 on Dreamland. There is. Yeah, and both this song and Lately 1 center around the tragic death of Chase's nephew, who died 24 hours after his birth. He says the first song was written from his sister's perspective, and so with Lately 2, he tried to see things from the point of view of his brother-in-law, and from a time slightly later down the road, like past the grieving process, as they were expecting a second child. Mm. So he's trying to process the grief and reconcile that with the feeling of moving on and trying to be excited and happy about the new baby at the same time. And that's a really complicated emotional blend. Yeah. Lately ends with the sound of the baby's heartbeat. And Lately 2 starts with the same heartbeat that ends Lately 1. But Lately 2 ends with the other baby's heartbeat, the new baby's heartbeat, in a little bit of very subtle symbolism. Yeah. That makes me a little scared for what Lately 3 is about. Yeah. We'll have to do that on Coin 2. Electric Boogaloo. Coin 2 we'll talk about Lately 3. I mean, he just poured his heart out into this song. I mean, yeah. I don't know. When you were talking about their inability to do slow stuff, I went to this song. It just didn't hold my focus. That's fair. I don't think it does hold your focus very well. That's true. I do like the instrumentals, though. The music of it is nice. Chase says it's such an emotional song that he can't even listen to Lately One. It wrecks him every time, as he says. I love some of the strongest lyrics in here, too. Like, this is maybe some of their best lyricism. 
You blamed the stars for aligning wrong, and you cursed the god you were running from. I like it. Technically, Lately 2 stops after the second chorus, and the last minute or so of this song is a hidden track called Nothing Matters. Oh. That's the part that starts off with the drums, and it's so distorted and saturated and raucous. I just love it. Cool. I know, right? And it ends super abruptly. It's just a good contrast to the Lately part. Secret track in the album yeah i love a good hidden track and then we jump cut into the post-funk rock pop track that kicks off with an acapella chorus and that's feeling feeling were you feeling feeling i was i was feeling feeling in the feelings great this is another song with a cool story behind it it was written early one morning by drummer ryan winnan he started putting the song together at 119 on a Friday morning and never meant for it to be a track, but it was yet again an accident that he showed to the band and they loved it. He was like, I'm feeling you. Can you feel it too? And they were like, oh yeah, we feel it too. We've been feeling it lately too. And they're like, oh no. Why were they like, oh no? They liked the song. Because lately too is sad. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then it hit them in their feelings and we all go full circle. I like feeling. It's kind of a fun song musically to get into. You know, I'm feeling chemistry. Can you feel it too? Even if we don't want it, we can't deny that it's there. It's a groove. It is. Feeling is a really fun song. I do think it's kind of the last of the really fun songs on this album, to be honest. Yeah, and then we move into Miranda Beach. Miranda Beach, yeah. This song, it's not another slow song, but it's just not captivating. It doesn't draw you in as much it's about a girl who's an enigma right the quiet type that he just can't get a read on or figure out because as he says she can barely say anything at all and she leaves him guessing at what's going on in her head and i guess maybe that's why this song doesn't ever stick with me either this song feels like an enigma to me miranda beach feels a little bit like a filler track agreed it's not bad but it's overshadowed by a lot of its companion tracks on the album. The chorus is really simple. She's got me feeling undone and she knows it. Miranda Beach. So it's sing-alongable. That's nice. I just don't think there's a ton to say about this song. Also, I think there's no real place called Miranda Beach, but it does seem to be a fictional town from the 1981 movie Body Heat. So I don't know if that's an inspiration or a coincidence, but just so you know, that loose thread is out there. You ever seen the 1981 movie Body Heat? Every Sunday. You watch Body Heat every Sunday? The mixtaper has it on a lot. What's it about? About, uh, I don't know. I don't pay attention to it. The mixtapers just got it on. Sure. From what I've gathered from the movie, though, just with it being on in my vicinity, it seems like it's in the midst of a searing Florida heat wave. And a woman persuades her lover, a small town lawyer, by the way, oh. to murder her rich husband. Oh, wow. That got intense really quick. Yeah. It's like the whole thing where it's like, you know, oh, ice cream sales went up in the summer and so did the murder rate. Ice cream must cause murders. Right. Yeah. How that's correlated. It's like that. Isn't it wild that that's totally true? Isn't it wild? Like, I can't believe ice cream's legal. I know. Yeah. It's like that. You know, she got, it got all hot. Florida heat waves, so murder rate went up. And the body count went up. Body heat. But you see, Ned Rancine, he's the seedy small town lawyer in Florida. You know, he's the one that's having the affair with the married Maddie Walker, the woman I mentioned. Yeah, and you've never seen this? You just had this on in your periphery? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the passionate affair happens, except, you know, the only thing standing in their way of true happiness is Maddie's rich husband, Edmund. That's the husband's name. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they plot. The, a plot is hatched to kill him 
but the whole movie's about will they pull it off. I see. That sounds uh, intense and in no way related. Also, Ned Rancine is a womanizer, apparently. Mm. But the heat wave does not affect the overactive sex drive of him. Of him? That was a weird way to say that. And Miranda Beach, uh, you know, she's somewhat inept. Uh, <laughs> just, I don't know just, what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> imagine, Just imagine, like, telling someone, yeah, I never really watched that movie. I just saw it on one time. And your review of the movie <laughs> includes I the know. phrase, she's somewhat inept. <laughs> Sorry, Miranda, sorry, the Miranda Beach is where they're, they're at. Sorry, the Miranda yeah, Beach lawyer. <laughs> sorry, I've only seen this one time. Your, your story's getting all mixed up. Yeah, the Miranda Beach lawyer, you know, the guy who's the lawyer, Edmund. Oh, Edmund. I thought Edmund was the husband. No, Ned Rancine. No, yeah, Edmund's the husband. Ned Ra- Racine, Racine, Racine. I don't know how his name is pronounced. He's the inept Miranda Beach lawyer. I see. Owns his own small firm, but he's not allowed to tell anyone about this affair that he's having with Maddie Walker. She's like, no, no, no. But that's totally against what he does. He loves to tell his friends, public attorney Peter Lowestein (laughs) and police detective Oscar Grace. And as the affair escalates into a declaration of love, it also turns into one of greed where, you know, both want each other and the money. You know, Edmund's money, the husband, the rich husband. There's money? (laughs) The rich husband's money. Okay, yeah. Sorry, you didn't get to that part earlier in your review. Yeah. And so, you know, Maddie signs a prenuptial agreement that would provide her nothing if she were to divorce Edmund and go be with the one she loves, Ned, the inept lawyer. Right. And so they're like, well, crap, I can't divorce him because I love the money almost as much as I love you. And so... They decide to murder Edmund, but they encounter some unforeseen obstacles. Oh, no. Including some last minute changes to the plan by Maddie without notifying Ned beforehand. You know, she like changes the plan because of these unforeseen obstacles. Yeah. But doesn't have time to warn Ned. You know, it's all about can he adapt to these changes and get away with the murder? Only time will tell. Only time will tell in the hot Florida town, Miranda Beach. Okay, so based on that just cursory peripheral review, I think we could go ahead and say that it may just be a coincidence that this song is named Miranda Beach and the two seem in no way related. Yeah, that's pretty much what we can take from all that, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Cool, well, let's talk about- But now, hang on. Is there any relation between Miranda Beach, which is a beach in Florida, and Malibu, 1992? That's a great question. Malibu, 1992 is in no way related to Miranda Beach. Different beaches altogether. But they're both beaches, so they're kind of related. Kind of. Yeah, we closed the album with two beachy songs. Actually, Malibu 1992 predates the album by a good bit. It was on the band's second EP, which was called 1992, before it got reworked into this current version. I think it's cool, by the way, that the album starts looking forward at the time to 2020 at the end of an era, right? And now we're looking back at 1992 on where we've been. It's a really cool chronology for this loose retrospective of an album. We start looking into the future and we end looking back at the past. It's neat. The song kind of shows in several different ways how their former home still has traces of their past everywhere on it. Even though their parents changed out their bed for a treadmill, their names are still carved in the pavement, right? They just outgrew the place and they outgrew each other. Like there was a time for all of this, but that time is gone 
gone now. And it's totally possible, he says, to acknowledge that it's gone and behind us, but to still miss it at the same time, which is what they get out with that chorus. I did it again, I must still want you. You know, I'm sure you think I've outgrown you, but I couldn't. I like it. It's another one of the album's most emotional tracks. Yeah, and this one is slow, and they do it well. I really like this track a lot. Yeah, I agree. This is a very well-executed slow song. It does seem like, though, as much as he's outgrown this ex of his, she's moved on and does not appear to be in the same state emotionally. He says, you're some old man's new trophy locked up in some house in New Jersey. He just says, in 20 years, it seems you've forgotten Malibu 92, which is a powerful lyric. I like it. I think this is a really strong track. And honestly, as much as it's not a part of the album, like as it was written so far beforehand, I think it fits this album perfectly. It's a great closer. Actually, another fun fact, too. In 2018, when there were pretty extreme wildfires in California, Coin put out some limited edition merch based on this song and donated the proceeds to Wildlife Relief. So good for Coin. Good for Coin. We'll find out how good right now in Final Spin. Final Spin time. That's correct. I'm so curious about your scores for this. Hmm. The band Camino was one you really liked and were excited about. Bad Sons was one that scored well and surprised you. Mm-hmm. This, I mean, sonically, kind of goes toe-to-toe with those ones. Actually, Apocalypse Whenever and the band Camino for you are right next to each other in your nines. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you really felt about this one. I guess we'll find out soon, but I kind of predict this one's going to break that trend. Yeah? Of being next to one another? Yeah. I don't think it's going to end up in that ballpark with them. Spoiler alert, not next to one another. Yeah, I figured as much. But let's get into some scores. Musically, I think this album grooves a lot. It's a really strong collection of songs musically. Again, I think some of Coin's later singles are a lot stronger, but I do think this is the most cohesive, like tight body of work that they've put out so far, which I guess factors more into the vibe at the end. We'll get there. But for now, music gets an 87. A lot of very memorable songs and melodies. Really cool instrumental parts. Lyrics, I'm going to give an 86. I think there are a lot of good individual lines and some couplets like you mentioned. Some songs do fall behind a little bit. You know, the Are We Alones and the Miranda Beaches of the album. Kind of hold that lyric score back a smidge. Keep it at an 86. Instruments and production, this album feels very well arranged. A lot of these songs have very interesting internal dynamics that are really cool. And their instrumentals are pretty captivating, I think. Some of the decisions they make to slow down their voices, to reverse their guitars, a lot of the ambient synths, the drums play their part really great throughout. Given an 89 on instruments and production, an overall vibe, I admit, maybe has a little bit of a sentimentality bias, just because I really like this album and have for a long time, even since before I was ranking albums, period. So, I don't know. I just like this one a lot. It gets a 93 on the vibe, which gives it an overall score of 89.1 and puts it on the list at number 119 and while this album may not be next to the others for you it is literally right next to the band camino for me (laughs) the band camino comes in just below it at 120 what yeah Wow. I know. You think Bank Camino was worse? Well, let me break it down for you. The Bank Camino scored one less point in music. They scored four more points in lyrics. They scored two more points in their instrumentation and production. And they scored five fewer points in vibe. So Bank Camino wow. takes the cake on lyrics and instrumentation production. But Coin gets it on the music and on the vibe. It's also slightly below Tim McGraw, who's sitting at number 115, for a reference on other episodes we've done. Mm. So that's me. I told you I like them very similarly. The band Camino and Coin. Yeah. 
As for me, before I get into my thoughts, yeah, my top three in album order. Don't Cry 2020. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Boyfriend. Nice. Talk Too Much. Strong start to the album. Conorable Mention, Hannah. Nice. And Malibu 1992. Ooh, an extra. We haven't had an extra pick in a long time. Taking one extra. That's the first time you've taken an extra song in your top three since the Eagles, Hotel California, on episode 85. Yeah, it's not been that long. It's only been like 10, 11 episodes. 13. 13? Oh, wow. It's been three months. Yeah. Yeah. A quarter of a year. Wow. Time flies when you're... Talking too much. When you're talking too much. <laughs> when you're when you're watching Body Heat every, <laughs> every week. Day, every Sunday. Yeah. Time really blurs. I'm sure. That's a good top four. I like those a lot. Malibu 92 is kind of a sleeper pick, but not surprising for you. Yeah. And Don't Cry 2020 is an interesting one. If I were if it were my top four, I would have flipped that to I Don't Want to Dance. Otherwise... I considered it. I just I had a lot of fun with the opening track. Well, that's good. Don't Cry. It's a fun track. I should have taken I Don't Want to Dance. It's not too late. You can lose a pick on episode 100. Nah. Okay. As for my score, did like this a lot. Oh, good. It's not in line, you know, it's not right next to Bad Sons in the Van Camino. No. But it is also not a nine. Yeah, I didn't figure. <laughs> but it is an eight out of ten. An eight. That's the next best thing to a nine. I think that's reasonable and uh, maybe expected. And it's going right above Avenge Sevenfold. Ooh, that's a kind of a lower eight. It's also going above American Idiot, I think. Oh, oh, okay. It's moved up one. And above no, nine. <laughs> keep, just... keep going. <laughs> Suddenly it's a nine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going right above American Idiot, actually. That's interesting. It's just that the middle, the middle and bottom half, you know, everything from like, are we alone down through Miranda Beach just really pulls the score down for me. I can't. I, I can understand that. Like Those are really sinking it to the bottom of the eights. Fair. As for my unit. The real question. This is getting eight unwanted Hannahs out of ten. Unwanted Hannahs? Yeah, because I don't want a Hannah. <laughs> oh, I know. It's I don't want to dance. Right. But Hannah. Yeah. You don't want a Hannah. I don't want a Hannah. <laughs> no. Eight unwanted Hannahs out of ten. Solid. Well, let's grab two. That brings us to the end of another. Well. Oh, wait. That's right. We got to. It almost does. We got to grab two more songs to adorn our playlist. It's a good playlist. Oh, if I'm taking one, taking one from tracks two through five. Okay. If it's me. I know what my two picks would be. Okay. Well, what would your two picks be? Talk too much in Boyfriend. Ooh, solid. I think they would too. I just was taking a sneak peek back at Boyfriend and I Don't Want to Dance. And they're close. Don't get me wrong. But I think Boyfriend gets the edge. Yeah. Boyfriend and Talk Too Much. Back-to-back tracks. Yep. That's very us. A very us thing to do. To pick back-to-back tracks. So what was it, I don't know, specifically that put this one so far below? Like, what did the band Camino and Bad Sons do right that Coin got wrong? They didn't have as long a run of meh tracks. Okay. They had a couple, but they weren't all in a row, and they weren't as numerousome. Numerousome? Yep. You just, like, scrambled the correct word numerous. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, yes. We're coming up on episode 100, by the way, if you didn't know. We're quite numerous. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
<laughs> so if you want to be in the loop on all things Spin It, coming up on 100 episodes in two full years. A lot of stuff going on. Yeah, it's true. Be sure to follow us on our socials, at Spin It Pod on Twitter, at Spin It Pod Official on Instagram, and on the web at www.spinitpod.com. We'll also have Twitch live streams and all kinds of fun stuff happening. Go follow the mixtaper on his Twitter. Interesting stuff coming for year three. It's so true. At the underscore mixtaper is his handle. And we'll see you back here next week for another stellar album, another stellar series of comments made about said stellar album. That's going to be episode 99. We're right on the cusp. Penultimate episode. Of pre-100. Yes. Yeah. No, it is the ultimate. It is the ultimate episode before episode 100. This was the penultimate pre-100 episode. Oh, we got, we penultimated. We didn't even realize. We didn't even realize it. Man, on our 49th double. You won't want to miss it. Stick around next time. Keep Keep spinning. Can you do me a favor? Maybe. Can you never flip a coin to decide factor spin again? Yeah, that's a favor I'll very gladly do you. I need you to, you know, not get shut out next week. I really need that too. I'm going to try my absolute best. One was, you know, nice. It was nice of you to give him one, right? Yeah, he needed that, but two... Two was a bit much. I don't know what you were thinking. I thought the coin thing would be a cool little trick. Three, he will be insufferable if he gets three. Just sit him down in front of body heat with a couple loaves of pumpernickel bread. He'll be fine. And where is some? <laughs>